It's good to see everyone this morning. Appreciate you all being here. Appreciate our visitors coming our way. We are so very glad that you are here this morning. Glad that you have made it a priority to gather together with the saints to worship our God on this first day of the week. It's good to have uh, those who have been away from us back. It's good to see everyone this morning. We have lots that are away from us right now, sickness and travel. Um, please keep all those in your prayers as we go about our daily lives and remember our, our brothers and sisters in Christ and be encouraging to them as we have opportunity. This morning I want to um, let us think about this question. Are you dwelling in your promised land? This question comes from our studies. On Wednesday nights, we're studying uh, the, the, the main storyline of the Bible. And we're at the point right now where uh, we're in the book of Joshua, where the children of Israel have made their way into the promised land, and that's what has my thinking about these kind of things. And they have fought a few battles, and they have settled into the land, and it has been apportioned to them as God promised that it would be. And Joshua had the task of taking them into the land and, and helping them in these battles and, and situating them in their geographical territories. And I wanted to touch on that and use that as, as a guide to help us understand that there's a lot of similarities in our life today. You know, I'm so grateful and, uh, and, and, and marvel at the, the Old Testament, at the stories of the history that we read there and how God dealt with his people. And those are so very important for us as Christians because our God hasn't changed. The law we live under has changed. The old law has been fulfilled, and we now live under the law of Christ. But the God we serve has not changed. And so reading these stories, looking at this history, helps us to greater appreciate the God that we serve. And we get to see some mistakes that others have made, and hopefully we don't make the same mistakes. But when it comes to a promised land, you know, there's, there's some very strong parallels that we can, uh, we can draw as we seek to understand the land in which we live. And we'll, as we'll see, it's not the physical land, but it's the spiritual land as we go through this. So let's start by looking at this and understanding this is where our, our story begins. That God made a promise. That promise was made to Abraham. And I'm going to have lots of scriptures up here. You're welcome to follow along in your own Bibles if you'd like, but I, I will have majority of the scriptures on the screen here. But in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. And make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And in all your families of the earth, in, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So we sometimes call this the threefold promise to Abraham. And there are the three things that are, up, that are bolded there. He says, I'm going to give you a, a land. I'm going to make of you a great nation. And in you, all nations of the earth will be blessed. And we know as Bible students and, and able to read that this is the promised land. This is the promised land that Joshua has now brought the children of Israel into. They're already a great nation. God did that by 
giving them law by which they will live as they're as they're wandering through the wilderness, making their way to the land. They are made a great nation under the law of Moses. And so they get to this land, and, and, and that's the land that has been promised to them. So God made a promise all the way here back to Abraham, all the way back to Genesis chapter 12 is where we're reading. Well, how does that then apply to us today? Well, in the same way, John's made a, uh, beg your pardon, God's made a promise to us. And I look for lots of different scriptures to, to encapsulate this the best, but boy, this one, this one really does it, doesn't it? John 3.16. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You see, that's the promise that's made to us. Similar to that of Abraham. But now we're talking more of the spiritual side. And we're talking more about what it is that we have in the eternal life. God says that who believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And how did God do this? He so loved the world he gave his only begotten son. There's the promise to us. So just like that promise was made to Abraham, there's a promise that's been made to us. That if we believe in him, believe in the son of God, Jesus Christ, whom God sent, that we'll have eternal life. God not only made the promise, but he perpetuated that promise. We see over and over again how God continues to repeat and, and, and clarify, if you will, and, and give further detail and, and through his providence perpetuate that promise. And, and the children of Israel fought so hard against him sometimes in, in bringing that promise down. But God, of course, brought that promise through. In Exodus chapter 3, as, as God is commissioning Moses um, to lead the people out of Egypt, he says there in verse 7, The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters. We know, you know there's terrible persecution that the children of Israel are, are going under in Egypt, and God has heard it. And he says there, verse 8, I have come down to deliver from them, uh, deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land, the land of Egypt, to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. See, here's God perpetuating the promise. Remember the promise he made to Abraham. I'm going to uh, give you a land. Now God is perpetuating it here. And we can go countless other examples here about how God perpetuates that, but this is this is the one I chose here when he's commissioning Moses to say, Moses, you're the one that's going to lead them to that promised land. Because I've promised it to Abraham, their father, Abraham. God perpetuates the promise that he made to us. What was the promise that he made to us? That he sent his only begotten son. If we believe in him, we will have eternal life. 1 John 5 and verse 20, John writes, And we know that the Son of God has come, and is giving us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his son Jesus Christ. This is the true God in eternal life. How does God perpetuate the promise that he's made to us? Well, through his son, through his word, through the Holy Spirit. He has perpetuated that. And John's writing here, and John writes these letters at the very end of the, the first century. These are some of the last writings of the New Testament. And so he's telling his audience that, Here's the things that, that keep this promise going. 
Son of God has come. We have understanding. He is true. This is the true God, and guess what? Eternal life. What was the promise made about Jesus? Sin is only begotten Son. Who believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So God perpetuates that promise to us too, doesn't he? Through his word. We know, of course, as with the children of Israel, that God fulfilled the promise. He made a promise to Abraham. He, he, fulfilled, or he perpetuated that throughout the generations, reminding them that he's the God of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I'm giving you this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Well, by the time we get to Joshua, they've come into the land. They've had to fight their way in. They're going to have to continue to fight their way to dispossess those who are in the land already. But God told them they were going to have to do that. That wasn't a surprise. But in Joshua 21, beginning of verse 43, So the Lord gave Israel all the land which he had sworn to give to their fathers, and they possessed it and lived in it. And the Lord gave them rest on every side according to all that he had sworn to their fathers, and not one of their enemies stood before them. The Lord gave all their enemies into their hands. Not one of the good promises which the Lord had made to the house of Israel failed. All came to pass. Those who, who hold to some, some doctrines that say that, that Israel really didn't come into the land, that, 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 they didn't really, that God didn't really fulfill his promise to them and give them the, the total possession of the land. Scripture says something different. Scripture says all came to pass. Has God fulfilled the promise with us? Has he fulfilled the promise of eternal life? Well, he has. In Colossians 1, beginning verse 19, he says, For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. See the parallel there? Reconcile all things. All things came to pass. God has fulfilled his promise to us. And that fulfillment is in Jesus Christ. He is the fullness of all things. It was God, the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. What does that leave out? Nothing. All the fullness of the promise that God has made, that if we believe in him, we'll have eternal life. Scripture tells us that through Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ God has reconciled all things. The promise has been uh, fulfilled through his son to us. But as we mentioned often, and we talked about in our Bible class this morning, there's something for us to do. We looked at the parable there of the, of the wedding feast, and, and the one who wasn't prepared because he, he wasn't dressed appropriately, and the, and the idea there of, of being prepared for, for that which you are doing. We have work to do while we're dwelling in the land. In Joshua chapter 24, or I beg your pardon, 22, verse 5, it says, Only be careful to observe the commandments which the law, uh, and the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, to love the Lord your God, and to walk in all his ways, and keep his commandments, and hold fast to him, and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. He's speaking to the tribes of Gad and Reuben and the half-tribe of Manasseh that are on the east side of the Jordan as they're going to go back over and, and take possession of the land which God had already given to them. And he says, be careful to absorb, uh, observe the commandment. You know, there's something that they have to do. 
And in, in, in reading the story and knowing what's ahead of them, there's still battles to be fought. There's still people that are to be dispossessed. But God has given them the land and has situated them in the land. But there's work for them to do. And the key to it, the, 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 the crux of it, is for them to hold fast to the commandments of God. How many times there is it said, observe the commandments, uh, walk in his ways, keep his commandments, hold fast, serve him, all your heart with all your soul. There's work for them to do while they're dwelling in the land. Similarly, there's work for us to do. Colossians 3, verses 23 and 24. Whatever you do, do your work heartily. As for the Lord, rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. There it is again. The allusion to eternal life, the inheritance that we have through Jesus Christ, all the fullness dwelling in him. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Doesn't that line up with what Joshua told the, the, the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh? Serve God. Follow his commandments with all your heart and your soul. What does Paul tell the Colossians and, 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 and in so doing tell us? Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord. Knowing... Uh, you know, for the Lord rather than for men. We're not working to serve or to please men. We're working to, to serve and to please God. And that's where we have that parallel. We're working to serve God. And guess what? You will receive the, war, the reward of your inheritance. There's, there's work here in this, in this time that we have to serve one another. And in so doing, we serve God. But there still is that inheritance that awaits us. And that's what I want to talk about as our last point. Until the day of rest comes. You know, as we mentioned, the children of Israel came into the promised land, and there, it was a land that people had already been living in. They had dug wells, they had built houses, they had planted vineyards. And God promised that to, to his children. He said, you're going to come in and live in those houses that you didn't build. You're going to drink from those wells that you didn't dig. And you're going to eat off those vines which you didn't plant. What a blessing. They didn't have to start from scratch. They were able to come in and, and take possession of the land and, and start day one, start living their lives. And Joshua, we read verse 5 a minute ago. The verse before that, as he's speaking to Gad and Reuben and Manasseh. Verse 4 of Joshua 22. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers as he spoke to them. Therefore now turn and go to your tents to the land of your possession which Moses the servant of the Lord gave to you beyond the Jordan. There's the rest. Is it a total rest? We're going to talk about that as we, as we go through here. No. There's still work to be done. They have to serve God. They have some dispossession of the inhabitants there still to go. But think about what God has given them so far. They spent 40 years wandering. They've spent another six years or so um, in those early battles as they come into the land. So 46 years they have been waiting to come into the land to possess it. 
the generations that have died out, all that has happened. But now they have rest from that because they've come to the land that God has given them. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4. Jack read this for us a while ago. I want to give us some context so that we fully understand this as we make our last point. Hebrews 4, Jack read for us verses 9 through 11. It says, There remains therefore a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall through following the same example of disobedience. That's kind of the, the end of the story in this, in this context, in this text. And let's make our application. There's a rest for the people of God. Verse 11, Therefore let us be diligent to enter that rest, so that no one will fall through disobedience. There's that inheritance again. There's eternal life. There's God fulfilling his promise. We have the work to do. There's a rest that yet lies in front of us. So we have the responsibility of working, of possessing that land, of dwelling in the land that God has given to us. And, and we're dwelling in it right now. Those of us who have put on Christ, those of us who are, are his children, we're dwelling in that land. But there's a rest that awaits us. If you're there in Hebrews 4, go back to verse 1. Let's make the application here. It says, Therefore let us fear, uh, therefore let us, uh, let us fear lest while we, a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you should seem to have come short of it. So here is the application. Here what we can understand is there, there is a rest. God has promised, but it's conditional. Verse 2, for indeed we have, have had the good news preached to us, just as they did also. But the word they, did not, uh, the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. For we who have believed enter that rest. Just as he has said, I have sworn in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. Talking about the application here about Jesus and, and what he has done, he has gone on. That was God's plan from the beginning. Verse 4, For he has thus said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God rests on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, They shall not enter my rest. And the passage we're referring to here is Psalm 95. And let's, let's turn over there for just a moment. Psalm 95. <clears throat> this is a psalm of David. Come down to verse 6. Come, let us worship and bow down. Psalm 95, beginning verse 6. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Today, if you will hear His voice, do not be hardened your hearts as to Mirabah and in the days of Massa in the wilderness. When your fathers tested me, they tried, though they had not seen my work, for 40 years I loathed that generation and said that they are people who err in their heart and do not know my ways. Therefore I swore in my anger, 
Truly, they shall not enter into my rest. You see, there was a rest for those that entered in the promised land, as we talked about there in Joshua. But the psalmist here speaks of, in the words of the Lord, there's another rest that is yet to come. Because those who were disobedient to God did not enter into the rest. We, the, the, the references here to Mirabah and Massa are those times when they disobeyed God and God struck them down. Many of them died there in the wilderness. They did not enter the rest because they were disobedient. So the Hebrew writer is pointing to that and helps us to understand that if we are disobedient, we won't enter the rest either. That's why he says there back in Hebrews 4 and verse 11, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. Now that speaks of the things that we have to do, right? The work that we have to do, as we mentioned in our, in our readings there. There's something that we have to do, lest any of us fall following the same example of disobedience. So there's the reference back then to those who fell in the wilderness. They didn't enter the rest because they were disobedient to God. We have a rest ahead of us. Jesus tells us about it. John 14. You know, let not your heart be troubled. He talks about going to his father's mansion, preparing that place for us and receiving us to himself. There's a promise again about eternal life. But there's work for us to do. We're dwelling in this promised land. There's work for us to do. And so that, the Hebrew writer is pointing to that and making us understand that, yes, there's a rest out there, but don't harden your hearts. Don't make the same mistake that those did back there in Meribah and Massa when they disobeyed God and they fell in the wilderness. That's why those stories are so important to us. That's why the Old Testament is so important to us, to read and to understand and not make the same mistakes. So we have that rest that's out there. Let us be diligent and make sure that we enter into it. Are you dwelling in your promised land? You know, God made a promise. He made the promise to the children of Israel about the land that they would possess, the nation that they would become. And he perpetuated that promise, telling them over and over again about uh, the promise that he made to, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And how he went to great lengths, painstaking lengths, to make sure that they possessed that land. That he perpetuated the promise, even though many times they fought him along the way. Why did we come all the way out here to die in this wilderness? Let's go back to Egypt. That sound familiar? Over and over again. But he perpetuated the promise because he was true to his promise. And he fulfilled it. He fulfilled the promise that he made to them, and they possessed the land, the land flowing with milk and honey. Remember when, when Joshua and Caleb, back there in Numbers 13, when they were sent into the land to spy it out, they came back, all 12 spies came back and said, yeah, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. Sadly, only two of them, only Joshua and Caleb, said, sure, we can take the land. Yes, there's fortified cities and there's strong people there. We can take it. But ten of the spies said, no, we can't. And so God was very displeased because those ten led the rest of Israel away. And so he punished them by making them wander for those 40 years. But nevertheless, he fulfilled the promise. He brought them into the land. But they had work to do. 
He told them that all along. Yes, I'm going to give you this land, but there's people living there. You're going to have to drive them out. You're going to have to utterly destroy them. There are wicked people. This was part of God's judgment against those people. They're wicked. You're going to drive them out. You're going to live in their land. So there's work to do. We have work to do in this, in this land that we dwell in, this promised land. We have to love our neighbors. We have to do good to one another. We have to still worship our God in the way that he has prescribed. But there is that day of rest that's out there. And we'll work till Jesus comes, as we'll sing here in a moment. We have work to do. We have something that we uh, must continue. And that is we have to continue to be pleasing to God. To serve Him, just as Joshua uh, commissioned the, commanded those about serving God and, and being true to His commandments and, and, and loving Him. We're told the same thing. To love God, to serve Him, be true to His commandments. And as God fulfilled the promise to the children of Israel, he fulfills the promise to us. He has told us, believe in his son, you will have eternal life. And he's true to that promise. If we believe in his son, if we do what his son says, if we submit to the waters of baptism, showing the, the obedience that we have, and we live a faithful life just like the, the Gadites and the Reubenites were told to do in, the, in Manasseh. Yes, here's the land, but you've got to continue to serve God. If we continue to do that, there's a rest that awaits for us. Eternal life. A life in heaven with our God. What a wonderful blessing that is, and God is true to it. It's not just words. It's real. God has promised it, and he will fulfill it. If you're not a child of God, I would encourage you to become a child of God, to read his word and understand what it is that he would have you to do. That's mainly of believing the gospel, hearing what he has said and believing it, and believing that Jesus Christ is indeed the Son of God, that he has come to save mankind from their sins. You recognize in that that you need to make a change in your life. That you need to repent of this old life that you've been living. And turn and live a life dedicated to God. And you understand and make that good confession about who Jesus Christ is. About being the Son of God. Then you're a candidate for baptism. As, the, as Philip is there with the, with the Ethiopian eunuch. As he has, has preached to him uh, uh, about Jesus Christ and the eunuch says, look, there's water. What prevents me from being baptized? I remember what Philip told him. If you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you may be. So they stopped the chariot. They went down into the water. Philip baptized him. And it says the eunuch came up out of the waters rejoicing because he had washed away his sins. What a blessing. And then it's up to us as his children to continue to live that life dedicated to him. Are we going to sin? Yes. Are we going to fall short of his glory? Yes. But we have given, we have been given a way that we can confess those sins, as John talks about in 1 John 1 and verse 9, 
confess them, and we will be forgiven of them, because God is righteous, and he will do that. But we're a child of God. We continue to serve him. If you're a child of God, and, and you've lost sight of the, the land, the promised land that you're living in, I would encourage you to think about this lesson, and think about the blessings that God has given us, and do your best to be a servant of his, and to possess that promised land that he has given us. Whatever your needs might be, you can let them be known by coming forward as we stand and sing to encourage you.